In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. Well, welcome back to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers podcast. The OGGN community of podcasts is the largest oil and gas podcast in the world. And the projections are that we'll hit about 3 million downloads some point in 2022. So that's exciting. And we hope you're one of those uh, 3 million folks that are, that are listening to uh, one of the, or all of the 15 different podcasts on the OGGN. So we're here today for the Digital Doers and um, I'm really excited about the guests that I have today. When I was first asked to consider hosting this, and I was thinking about people that I think would deliver some really powerful messages, um, my guest today was one of the first handful of names that I came up with. So I'm really excited about that. And before we jump in, though, I'd like to say a few words about our sponsor, because it is the folks at HPE that make this possible for you to uh, get some wisdom and insights from people like Bob, who we're going to talk to today. Um, and so if you get a chance, go to HPE.com and take a look in particular at their new GreenLake platform. Um, it's their edge to cloud cloud platform, and it's all about bringing the cloud to you, wherever your apps and your data live. And I guess um, the statistics show that still about 70% of folks or companies' apps and data still live on-premise. On and so what's great about this platform is it's giving you that cloud experience at your edges, at your various co-locations, wherever your data is stored. So go to hpe.com and check it out. And so back to Bob. Um, our guest today is Bob Palermo. And when I mentioned to you that his name was one of the first names that came to mind uh, when I started thinking about who I would like to have conversations with, you know, it's not because, just because Bob has over 30 years of engineering and operating and IT kind of related roles. That's important. And he's had them with some pretty big companies, names you might recognize like Shell. Uh, and then also some large independent size companies. Um, but what really is most impressive about Bob to me is, you know, Bob never let um, getting a project done or following a plan um, get in the way of his commitment to doing what was right, what was going to really, uh, you know, uh, make the needle move or the cash register ring. Um, and he, you know, he kind of has a, a nose and a knack for for staying focused on uh, 
where the real value is. So with that, I want to introduce Bob Palermo. And and Bob, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. Thanks, Joanne. It's great to see you. And thanks again for the opportunity to do this. Uh, I think it's great to see you in this role. I think it's a, just a perfect fit for you. And uh, a lot of people will uh, get a lot of value out of what you're doing. So, Well, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. So yeah, as far as the introduction, just kind of background, I'll go quickly through, you know, I'll start with my professional experience and I'll start with the non-typical approach, which is much of my professional experience starts with family and friends and colleagues, right? I mean, we, we tend to separate and think about all the formal professional training, but whether it was my, you know, original family, my wife, my children, my friends, all those things help develop somebody. And I'm, you know, very fortunate to have had great, great development there and, and support. Um, as far as the more formal professional development journey, I guess it's pretty, pretty classic, I'll call it. And again, very fortunate, right? Um, I, you know, petroleum engineer, my background, got into the industry, um, Colorado School of Mines, University of Southern California. And um, so I had that core background and, and, uh, at the same time, I was going through Army ROTC, so I had some broader training in just human resources and training and standards and and things that were already diverse early in my career. And if you think about stages of careers, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate in the beginning. I had great internships. Started out in oil and gas fields, roustabouting, working on rigs, right, um, and had a plethora of great engineering, operation jobs, individual contributor roles, um, all of which helped, you know, round out, you know, my development early on. Um, I was fortunate not just to be in the core business, but have support roles, right? So whether, like I said, working with HR, training, or IT, um, you know, I became very interested in digital technologies and process management to run a better business. Like you, Joanne, I mean, it was early on, I kind of caught on to what technology and data could do to help run a better energy company. So, you know, that was kind of the the roles I had. Um, if I think about the 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 luck we had in our generation was we grew up through the digital age. I mean, when I broke in, there were no computers. You think about digital doers, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, we did it with paper and pencil, right? And then we saw the first versions of, you know, I grew up writing code as an individual contributor, right? Basic programs, SQL statements. And then we finally got PCs and we shared a PC. And then we went to this, and to be a part of that, um, generation, it's hard for people to imagine that we actually did work before Microsoft or Apple or Amazon, right? And and so, you know, it's fortunate to have been part of that and to be an early adopter of it. So never resisted the change. I just saw all of these things as um, just an opportunity to, to really run a better business through these, you know, today you hear people talk all the time about, it's all about capabilities, integrating people, process technology data to an integrated suite. We talked like that in 1980, 1990, right? Yeah. And so it was just very fortunate to be with people that, um, 
um, you know, thought that way and wanted to create that kind of a company. Um, one thing about myself is I, I, I tell folks, I'm not very creative or inventive, right? Joanne, I think you know me pretty well. I mean, I don't, but pretty innovative in that, you know, we try to apply best practices and best ways of working to the energy industry, right? And what we were doing all the time. And we were successful at it, right? So we didn't invent running a company using a manufacturing mindset and applying lean concepts, but we were one of the first energy companies to do it well, right? Yeah. And we didn't invent, you know, managing your company through a strategic operating model with uh, integrated enterprise architecture with a data warehouse and right. Others did, but we did it well. So, you know, much of what we did was um, applying best practices. And that's a big part of what I think is critical to share to, you know, future people. Now, as far as stages of my career, which is kind of a, a big part, and we'll get into, you know, some of these things about what, what went well or whatever, but, you know, I consider three big stages, kind of the first decade of kind of individual contributor. Right. Lots of roles, working, doing my, you know, applying my craft. You know, really the next decade was kind of middle management, learning my way through leadership roles, right? And and managing people and organizations. And and then really the last third of my career, you know, got into executive roles, right? And leading leaders and things like that. So that's kind of me in a nutshell, kind of in the background. Yeah, so what I sh probably should have mentioned up front is that um, one of or the, the role that Bob had is title before he left the corporate world. And I, Bob, correct me if I don't get this quite right, but was the, the vice president of enterprise architecture and performance improvement at Shell. Um, right. uh, and was that a global role, Bob, or was it a U.S. role? Yeah, it was the, the global unconventional business, so it had footprint around the world, but it was in one of the main lines of businesses, okay. and we worked. Yeah. yeah, Great. And the other thing, it probably maybe Bob and I should let you in um, if we get into our little side conversations, is that Bob and I worked together um, at a company in California for a little over a decade. I think Bob was there a few more years than I was, but I was there for a little over a decade, um, and it was a joint venture between ExxonMobil and Shell. And one of the first um, times I remember Bob, and he probably gets tired of me bringing this up, but I just thought it was so perfect, even back then, in such a perfect uh, indication of, of how Bob thinks, is I think he was involved with a team. So I mentioned this company that we worked for, Era Energy, um, was a joint venture between Shell and ExxonMobil. And so you basically, and the two companies contributed just their upstream assets in California. And um, you can imagine, you know, trying to, and this was in 97. So we started planning and working on this in 96. But you can imagine trying to bring these two big companies, you know, kind of together. Uh, and then about that time, uh, Arco, some Arco app, uh, assets in California got thrown in the mix. And so I think Bob, um, Bob, you may have been a reservoir engineer at the time. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But uh, I guess the reservoir engineers and a bunch of other folks were struggling to even find data. 
to to do the work that they they you know normally did, and so um, I think Bob had a real leader role in creating a team called Stop the Madness. And, uh, you know, I think it would have been pretty easy to say, oh, well, we need to go in and put a bunch of new computer systems and do some coding and put some connectors or something together. Uh, But once again, I think it was, you know, Bob that realized that, you know, a bunch of wires and code and stuff, probably not going to solve this issue. So... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was a it was a great time, and I still do some of that type of work today. To be honest, right? If you, it was kind of the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, we were in this formation. Uh, I knew enough about you know standing up standard processes and running a digital ecosystem to be dangerous, right? Joanne, I call it the time. I was not, you know, I wasn't didn't have the experience I have today, but. I was in a position with some really good people that said, you know, there's a better way to do this. And um, if you imagine back then, we already had a hairball of IT systems inherited from ExxonMobil and Shell and Arco. And and to get that under control and to rationalize that and run like kind of a, a true enterprise, you know, it was hard work then. It's really tough for companies today. I mean, 40 years later in this digital age for companies that – don't have good governance, don't have good strategies and architectures, uh, the hairball is incredible, right? So yeah, this group got together and said, you know, there's a better way to run a business in the digital and process age. And um, and we started going down that path. And and that's really where I started to get some, you know, really good experience and learning and education. I mean, I, I really thought I knew what we needed to do, right? I thought I knew how to do it. I thought I knew how the answers and, you know, we all had a great vision and I, I had a lot of the skills needed, but very quickly I was over my head. I mean, I had never been the president of a company. I had never been a CIO. I hadn't run, you know, financial systems like SAP and integrated them with supply chain and maintenance. Right. And so, you know, we started going and as an all successful endeavors, I call it, we had our false starts, right? We stumbled, we made some progress, three steps forward, two steps back. And then we got lucky and, and we said, you know what, let's get some external help, right? And we found some really good people, the people that wrote the best books, uh, top-selling books at the time on on how to do this work. And they had done work with FedEx and other companies, and, and they basically mentored us, right? We brought them in. We learned from the outside. They coached us. And, you know, as you know, the rest is history, right? I mean, it turned out to be an incredible operating model, right? That's emulated yeah. around the world, right. incredible value creation, um, you know, passes every audit, gets written up as case studies in textbooks and articles, right? And it all started from a small band of people with this stop the madness. It Trying was to stop like, the we madness. can't get our job done because right. we simply can't get the data we need to do the work, right? Yep. Yeah, well, I yeah think it's that's, a great history. And I think there's several key things that you said when you talk about that, Bob. And one of them is, like, how important is it for people to recognize that this is a false start? You know, I'll kind of go back to what I said when I introduced you, right? Some mm-hmm. people would just get the project plan and say, as long as I'm making those milestones, we'll 
just uh, fool ourselves or tell ourselves that it's going to be fine. So what was, do you think, key to all of you recognizing that this is a false start and we need some help? Yeah, I I think, you know, we... We knew the direction we needed to go, right? So we kind of knew we needed to get from A to B. Uh, and so the good news was we were laser focused on that vision, right? That's the key to all these things, right? Is we weren't going to give up on that vision. We knew we wanted to get there. And then, you know, some of these false starts, we would go down a path and, you know, it, it wouldn't land with the business or we'd, you know, we'd, we'd find we're just, we're just doing the same stuff we used to do. We've just industrialized it now with corporate IT, right? And, you know, when we'd have these failures, we just learn from the failures, right? Um, but the key to all these things, everybody, you know, we do, we've done a lot of good um, enterprise scale changes, right, Joanne? I mean, literally taking large organizations, changed culture, right? Made significant impacts. And whenever I talk about it, Hey, everybody's like, well, it's this really smooth plan, right? I said, not even close. I said, I mean, <laughs> everything I've ever been involved in from, you know, successfully applying, you know, total productive maintenance to, right, to lean to an ERP to right, enterprise architecture, every one of those, Joanne, we, we've, we could have given up 10 times and failed and been part of what I call the initiative graveyard, you know, the graveyard of failed initiatives of companies, you know, all these great ideas that people bring in, they get a lot of fanfare, rah, rah, let's go do this. And then two years later, we're talking about, well, this didn't work for us or that didn't work for us. And, you know, I look at these companies, I'm like, please don't say that doesn't work. You know, it does work. Maybe you as leaders failed to lead the organization across the change. Maybe the organization isn't a learning organization and couldn't adapt the new ways of working, but don't tank the initiative, right? I mean, these are written up in these best business books for a reason. And so, you know, what we had going for us, literally I call it just tenacity, grit, perseverance, whatever you want to call it, right? I mean, just dogged stubbornness to get it over the line, right? So, you know, when we have these false starts, we it didn't change the vision. It was just, hey, there's another learning. We still need to learn how to do this, right? We're, we're on our way, but we weren't going to be part of, I call it the initiative graveyard. <laughs> yeah, so. that's a great way of thinking about that. And you mentioned up front, and I would agree with, with you, that we were fortunate back then um, to have some senior leaders, some executives at the time. And I always like to say, there was this, uh, it, it was more difficult to decide that this didn't work um, because we had three leaders at the very top of the organization that were all very aligned. Correct. Now, when they got behind closed doors, they may have argued, I, I suspect they probably did, but outwardly to the organization, the CEO, the COO, and the CIO at the time were so perfectly aligned that Bob couldn't go in and try to say, well, this is not going to work for us and get one of them on board uh, because there was just no crack in that that foundation that they all said, we're going to go down this path. Um, So anyway, I think that's really, was really helpful. And I feel like I benefited 
I learned a lot in that environment. Uh, yeah, um, I did as well. And I agree that alignment at the very top for these types of things is critical. And the digital transformations companies are trying to do today, and it has to start at the very top because, yeah. you know, there, there's only, it takes senior leadership's energy to break down that inertia, right? And to keep everything aligned. And it's very complicated. You can do it with a grassroots effort, which is what we were trying to do with Stop the Madness, if you think about it, right? But that wasn't going to take hold unless you really had that senior executive alignment, right? Well, and I think, you know, the other thing, so I I totally, that that triumvirate at the top was pretty solid. Um, And I suspect at any given time, each one of those folks might have had to step up and hold everybody together or whatever, you know, because like I said, I doubt it was smooth for them either. But I do think those guys were great at having a vision and trusting that perhaps David Walker mm-hmm. had the clearest vision around IT. Um and Greg Cox, I think, had the clearest vision around operations. And Gene Voiland had a very clear uh, vision around the level of performance that this company needed to have. Exactly. And so I think there was this trust between them that none of them had to know at all. The other thing I think, Bob, is I do think they had a lot of trust in what we used to call the middles. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree with you that you've got to have that alignment and strength at the top. But I always think thought they were very wise to listen to people like Bob Palermo, uh, uh, Luanga Yonke, right. um, Dave McKay, uh, Gary Eagles. I, I mean, there's all exactly. kinds of names Naranja, and exactly. Ron Johns, and mm-hmm. there was you, you know they they listened. And did not think that they had all the answers. They just were comfortable that they had a vision. So, um, so the other thing that I I remember and and you mentioned is that you went outside and you found these let's call them maybe pioneers or certainly they were experts in this digital world. But you you didn't go get a big consulting company, right? You talk a little bit about how you took went the path that you did or yeah and and if if you remember there were times when we would leverage you know the large consulting firms and then there were times when we would just leverage these boutique shops right and and this was a scenario where you know we we wanted to develop the competency in-house we wanted to bootstrap our way up right so we we knew this was an important you know back then if you think about it it's amazing today right is managing your business processes and your IT systems and your data, that's pretty strategic. It's it's right up there with managing your people or managing your facilities or managing your your the communities in which you work, right? It's very strategic assets. So we saw that coming and said, you know, we could write a check and outsource this to some company that would do a great job for us. And we know they would, right? Um, but we said we need to develop this internally and the other thing about going for us at the time, I call us, we weren't a huge company. Remember, we didn't have a lot of money to go spend. Yes. So it was kind and of And at one like point, a, that oil price hit, what, about eight for yeah, us or exactly. 10 or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always remember some conversations, probably exaggerate, but with Gene or, or other senior leaders, there, it's like, hey, this is a great thing. We should go do this. And they look at me. I was like, yeah, okay, go do it. 
It's like, well, where's the big check? There's no big check. So if you really <laughs> want to do it, make it happen. Otherwise, get back to work. You know, I'm exaggerating, but, but you know, so yeah, so we ended up saying, okay, we want to do this. We need help. Um, and I, you know, I credit the Gene, David, Greg, and other combo at the time saying, you know, let's take a look. And, and we researched and said, you know, who's writing these best selling books? Um, what are the top-selling books on data quality, on data modeling, on enterprise architecture, information engineering, right? And, and next thing you know, we somehow hooked up with, you know, John Zachman and Steve Spiewak, who's passed away, Larry English, Tom Redman, David Hay, all these people that – it's amazing, Joanne, right, how lucky we were. You know, 40 years later, these people are all still relevant. They are still – I mean, yeah. these are people that, yeah, absolutely. you know – the the books that are coming out of MIT today on this information age thinking and you know still reference the work they were right. you know talking about in the seventies eighties nineties so right. you know we got very lucky I call it I mean we just happened to talk to them they liked us they saw us as a playground practically right that is oh right. this is a great spot to to apply some of this breakthrough thinking and it was a phenomenal journey for us right it, you know you, you get pretty lucky in life sometimes yeah. I I agree. So, Bob, can you think of a time? So, you spent uh, 14-ish years at ERA, 17-ish years at Shell in a, many roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, can you think of a particular improvement effort that maybe sticks out, either is good or maybe not good, that really sticks out, that left an impression on you? And and what role did you play? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we probably talked about the biggest one, the, the, the standing up of ERA. There, there were lots of them, but I would have to say that by far was the biggest. Um, and from a role, it's interesting, the um, – uh, I describe it two ways, right? In that model, I was somewhat the chief architect, right, Joanne? Not exactly, but basically, yeah. I knew the energy industry, right? I'd played all the roles, and I was a shadow IT guy at the time, right? I, I Funny story here real quick is with CIOs and COOs and CFOs and directors of HR and directors of, you know, we all have to get along, right, and trust each other, right? That's how it works, right? It's an integrated team. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up very IT savvy. And when I met David Walker, who was our CIO at the time, he, was, he tells a story all the time that as he comes in as his new CIO and everybody says, you need to talk to Bob, you need to talk to Bob, you need to talk to Bob, you know? And, uh, and I'm meeting David and I had this funny conversation. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke, but uh, every time I meet with CIOs, I'm like, okay, let's be clear, right? When I came out of college, I understood this industry and I knew how to write code, so what I did was I ran circles around your organization. You know, I just <laughs> sat in my cube and I wrote code better than you could. And I made you guys look like you didn't understand the business. And then a couple years later, I matured and I said, wow, there's a lot of people in those IT departments. And I looked at them just like a service. And I kind of had this mindset that was, 
if I could just get those minions to do my bidding, wouldn't that be great? You know, so then I went over there trying to, you know, get the minions yeah, to do what I, and then, and then I matured and I said, my gosh, these people are geniuses. They know a lot. They're so much smarter than I know. And if I would partner with them, we can make beautiful music together. Right. And so, you know, early on I went through that maturation. And so, you know, with David and, and these other folks, look, I'm not trying to run your IT organization. But I'm telling you, you don't know the business we're in. So we need to work really closely together, right? And so, right. you know, I kind of played that figurehead to the business. A lot of the hard work was done in the IT organization behind the scenes and all that stuff. But it was important to have the business fronting it, right? So I was in that role, working with all the different departments, all the different functions and business units, trying to make sure this whole ecosystem came together, right? The integrated processes of an energy business with the whole IT ecosystem. So I helped coordinate that. But the other thing I always tell people is, as you know, is I was kind of chief cheerleader, right, Joanne? Chief motivator. I mean, the, these things are hard. They're hard. I mean, it is tough. And somebody has to be that constant positive energy saying, you know what, we can do this. Let's keep going. Come on. I know it's hard, right? We're going to, and so a lot of it, a lot of the role I call it is I tell everybody, if you want to get into corporate change and do a, you know, be really, you know, successful at, you're going to need to be a cheerleader, yeah. a cheerleader. You need to motivate people. You need to keep their energy level up because this is not for the week of heart, right? right? This isn't something you do on the side of your desk. You know, it's a pretty big commitment. So, yeah, I think that's probably the role I played. Well, I think there's several roles, but I don't think we should minimize or underestimate what you say. I mean, you know, you talk about the initiative graveyard, right? But there's the hearse has to travel down a road to get to the graveyard. (laughs) Exactly. And so if you're not careful if you don't have those cheer load cheerleaders right that's where your vehicles you know start morphing into hearses and they start heading in that direction and so the cheerleader really is to say that's not the option that's yeah, not no. the only option i still um, think that's one of our yeah. key you know one of the key skill sets that we all develop there that people don't underestimate is we all know how to lead change Right. We underestimate that. But anybody that grew up in that era with us, I credit, you know, Naranja Milanovic, those folks, right? Bergstrom, Eagleson, like you said, that really drove us there. But, um, you know, anytime these companies are talking to me about, well, we have this big change we want to do, I say, are you sure you're up for it? And, and, and I walk them through this journey, right, Joanne? It's like, okay, we want to implement XYZ. Okay, well, that's easy. Build the flowery statement, have the CEO set the vision, send the note out, rah, rah, you know, have some balloons and cake, right? Okay, now the going gets tough. Now you actually have to design kind of this new way of working, right? And then it gets even tougher because you kind of have to implement it and kind of change how we work, right? And now you're in the dog days of summer and you're going to give up. Okay, because now it gets hard. This is no more fun. This isn't just, oh, let's kick this thing off. Now you're in the weeds. You're in the trenches, right? And and you've got to work with people, and we've got to bring the whole organization along, and you've got to get this over the line. Okay, so now you're successful, right? And you've got this working in a piloted area. Well, now you have to scale it, right? We're not even halfway along the journey yet, right, Joanne? I mean, you actually got to scale this thing. I mean, you've got to get it in place, 
now you got to put some controls in to sustain it. Chaos theory takes over. I mean, we want to go back to, right? And so now you've got to find a way to embed this in how the business works. You know, and then you've got to continually improve it. Then you've got to kind of renew yourself, right? And you've got to, so I tell people, you know, don't just say, oh, let's go do this great new initiative and take it lightly. I mean, it's it's a lot of work to drive, right? And and it it's going to take some out of you, and it's going to be an incredible reward. But that whole effort about you know leading change, you know, developing a learning organization to adopt and learn new ways of working, it, it's it's a huge amount of effort, right? Much more than just you know the fanfare of saying, "Hey, let's go do X, Y, Z," right? So along those lines, you know. One of the um, things that that I talked uh, with Michael O'Sullivan, who had the Digital Doers podcast before me, and he said, hey, Joanne, why don't you come and do this? You know, one of the things I I talked to him about is said, I want to talk about technology. I totally, I'm I'm an evangelist. I always said that I always thought with David Walker, the you know the CIO that that influenced me the most was a real love hate relationship, mm-hmm. right? Because I was an operations person, and for heaven's sakes, he was just a cost center, right? A little bit of my maturation curve, like you mentioned yours, right? right. Um, and so, but the reason I am such a believer is because I was able to see how empowering a good digital capability is mm-hmm. for people throughout the organization, yep. particularly some of those folks who aren't seen as having a lot of power always. Right. But this uh, capability, this this structure, framework that, that we put in place um, at ERA that was one of the most rewarding things for me is to see how empowering it was for the organization. Yeah, I, I always that, that is the most rewarding part of it, right? Is you know the the uh, accounting, the, uh, the 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 business person. It's all about the profits and the value created and the cash flow we created, right? But the real value is seeing people have a better work life balance and seeing them have better fulfillment in their jobs because they're efficient and they're working and adding value all day long instead of sitting around chasing data all day long, doing non-value-added tasks. And so uh, I get to the point where I, I see companies and, you know, leaders, you know, let's go, you know, everybody go work harder, do more, deliver better. And I'm like, you understand how disrespectful it is to have all these people working in such inefficient, bloated, bureaucratic systems and structures. That's your problem as a leader. Leaders yes. control the systems and structures of the company, the policies, the procedures, the governance, the organizations, all the handoffs, right? The IT ecosystem. No individual contributor can fix that. some of that stuff. And to me, that's the real pleasure and the reward in all this stuff is looking at a, you know, not, of course, it's great the companies are making money, but just to see people that are fulfilled in their work doing value-added work all day long, right? Having, you know, winning, beating their competition without working nights and weekends all night long, trying to keep up with uh, chasing their tail, right? So I I agree. I think that's a huge part of the the benefit is, you know, for all the workforce. Yeah. And I think that that's sometimes a difficult picture to paint 
you know, I, I try to give, ex, uh, you know, specific examples from time to time, but being able to really, you know, capture how valuable it is to have a group of folks who are um, well-informed and there to see that their conversations and the problems that they're tackling just is escalating. It's, you know, it's getting greater to greater and greater value and that those conversations are taking place where they should, instead of being elevated all up to a bunch of executives who don't know enough detail to be able, but, um, but I do think that's hard to, you know, really get that point across that, you know, that is so much more valuable than the shiny new thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, two thoughts there, right? Getting back to your middle management, I I do agree, right? Too often senior leaders are micromanaging, right? You've got to trust the middle, right? And we had really good middle management and, you know, that's where the work gets done, right? That's, that's where, you know, that's the, the the glue that keeps companies together. So I think, you know, you got to do that. The other thing is on the, um, the shiny objects, I call it, right? One thing we got coached by, and I remember this day 40 years ago, almost 30 some years ago, you know, sitting there with John Zachman and these people. And it's like, Bob, you know, don't worry so much about all the standard reports and all those shiny new technologies and all that stuff that you want to do. You know, you want to go write all these standard corporate reports that everybody's going to use, right? And with the latest technologies and, you know, the technology is going to come and go, Right. But the data is needed forever, Joanne, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, and it was all about focus on the data. Just get the data under control. Get a single source of the truth that people can trust. If you do that, you win. And if Joanne Meyer wants to look at a bar chart and Bob Plerman wants to look at a line chart because we learn differently, who really cares as long as it's off the same corporate data, right? You know, and if we can optimize reports, that's great. But the problem with business isn't that we don't have enough shiny technology object out there to play with, or we don't have enough reports. The problem is the data is lousy. Mm-hmm. People can't get the data they need in most companies, right? They still can't get to, I work with companies today in the 2022 and I'm like, you don't have a record copy of all the master data of your wells. You don't have a singular spot with production history for every well in an energy business. Well, like, you know, it moves from vendor to vendor to this software product to that software product. And every time we get a new shiny object, we move all the data with it and they have to relink everything to it. And I go, wow, that must be a hard way to work. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and so we learned, yeah. And so we learned that really data was the lifeblood of the digital age. Right, yeah. not the technology. If you just think about, I I, I do simulate jokes about simulations about, you know, let's talk about one simple thing in our industry, Joanne: decline curve analysis. Everybody can relate. Right. Right. Yeah. Not that hard. Right. I'm going to predict future performance of our wells. Right. Using past production data, I need. Right, oil rate, water rate, gas rate, GOR, water cut time, what events, workovers were done on the well, whatever. Correct. If I'm going to estimate reserves, I need price premises, inflation, you know, cost, whatever. Right. Okay. Now, we did that work 50 years ago, right, with a piece of paper and a pencil Absolutely. and a French curve, and uh, that was our yeah. technology, right? Yeah. 
we then did it with Lotus 1.0, then Excel, then tools like Production Analyst and Oilfield Manager and DSS. And now we're rewriting it again in Tableau or Power BI. And eventually it's going to be done by an AI bot somewhere in a cloud. Okay. But in a whole maturation, doesn't the AI bot still need to know the production data? There's been one constant. Uh, there's one constant here, correct? Is that no matter what the technology is or who's doing it or where it's happening. So, you know, we got very lucky that we said, you know what, the technology is great. I mean, we love new software. We love work with these vendors, right? It's not the center of the universe. You know, the center of the universe is actually getting that data right. And, yeah. and if you have that, everything else, your process standardization and optimization becomes easy. It just gets right. Easier. You know, I leveraging all the advantages of the digital age and all these new technologies becomes easy, right? But if you have data chaos, it's really hard to leverage. So, again, that was one of the lucky things we, we stumbled on literally 30 years ago, right? Yep. It kind of goes back to the stop, stop the madness, right? You had <laughs> yeah. data all over the place. Exactly. Well, Bob, um, so I always like to give my guests a, a, a bit of an opportunity. Is there some advice that you might give? I mean, a lot of times I, I have a lot of um, software providers on the, the podcast, as you can imagine, and, and I ask them, and they often, from their perspective, might uh, offer up some some thoughts for uh, the oil and gas operators, let's say. Um, what about the other way around? Do you have anything or, or? Sure. Yeah, I've got a probably a couple of thoughts. Um, one technical, one more kind of on leadership on on uh, what I'd suggest. Um, first, on the on the oh, since you mentioned you know these great partners and suppliers and vendors we get to work with, right? Um, you know, from an operator's perspective. It's just very important that you you set your own destiny. Okay, so in other words, any of these consulting firms, Joanne, they have amazing practices with amazing capabilities, correct? Yeah. And all these software vendors have incredible stuff, right? Right. But if you try to apply every practice from every consulting firm with every piece of software from every software vendor, you're going nowhere, you're rudderless. You're like an you know a rudderless right. boat being blown around in the ocean, right? So, it is important to have a strategy and a, and a plan, and and to really be good partners with these suppliers of ours. And but but do it strategically, right? Know what you're doing, right? You have your company, you have your direction. We partner with them to help. Um, so you know that's just kind of an aside there on how I've always worked with those groups. Is look, we we have a company to run. This is what we're doing. We want you to help and. You know, this this is where we see you know your great fit. Um, on a, a couple other suggestions, you know, we, we talk quite a bit about you know if you're in the digital world and you're in the weeds and you're in the technical roles, anything you can do to to focus on on data at least as much as the tech is important, right? You know, we, we talked a little bit about that, but I'll build one more on it. Is you think about any industry. And the learnings I've had over the years is the one thing that's stable, Joanne, is pretty much the processes and data of the firms. Okay. Processes improve all the time, but, you know, where you operate changes, right? We buy and sell stuff all the time. Who does it changes all the time. We reorganize all the time. We're hiring people. People are retiring, right? So who changes, where we operate changes, the software changes all the time, Um, you know, 
all these things change, but fundamentally, the underlying business processes and data requirements for an oil company or an or, or windmill company or solar, they're not changing that much to win, right? right? So anything you can do to simplify your business versus complexifying it, right? So design your capabilities around the fundamental processes and data needs of the firm, regardless of the org chart of the day. I watch all these companies that are designing all their business flows and IT systems around the org chart. And like by the time you get it built, the CEO is going to restructure the company anyway. So why would you ever design your digital platforms around the org chart du jour, right? So, so technically, I think that's a pretty important thing is to continue to think about the, the basic foundation of process and data. From a leadership standpoint, I think the two suggestions, we talked a little bit about it, is I think for all good leaders in the future, they they need to, to um, embrace the CIO type roles. They need to embrace the role in stewarding technology and data and systems. And what I mean by that is if you look at the industrial age, right, all good leaders grew up, whether through business school training or on the job training, that is, if you're going to run a business, right, Joanne, you kind of need to know how to steward people, don't you? Of course right. you do. Yeah. Sure. And you need to be able to steward safety and provide a safe work environment. You know about safety. Right. And you need to take advantage, take steward the physical assets or facilities you're entrusted with, right? Right. Sure. And you need to know how to work with the supply chain and the suppliers you're entrusted with, right? So – and take care of the company's money and finance. We all grew up understanding that as a holistic leader, even though I wasn't an HR professional, right? I had to know how to work with people and manage people, right? Even though I wasn't an EHS professional, right? I had to lead safety. Even though I wasn't a reliability expert, I had to manage my facilities, right? But over the last 30 years, it's just as important to steward the company's business processes and data assets and software products. Those are also critical assets, right? So I see so many leaders today that are like technology phobic. It's like, oh, it's not about the technology. It's not, it's like the technology is one element that you have to actually, to run a business today, you have to be just as comfortable working with and talking with your CIOs or chief data, you know, technology officers, whatever we're calling them today, right? And as you are with the VP of HR, right? Or, or the VP of EHS, right? right? So I would say, you know, embrace that. Do it. There's really good books out there called IT Savvy on, you know, what, what you know, leaders need to know for what non-IT executives need to know to run in the digital age, right? Great right. stuff. So I would do that for sure. The other one's broader than digital though. And I think it's, it's, it's just a, um, a suggestion for anybody out there in leadership is what we would call, you know, be a proactive leader, I call it, Joanne, right? You and I talked about this in the past, but, you know, too many leaders today just chase their tails, right? They're so focused on the short term. They're, you know, up to their necks in alligators. They can't drain the swamp, right? And, and you know, finding that time, even if it's 1% a day, right, you know, to be more proactive, right, yeah. in, in leadership. And, yeah. you know, I, I feel bad for people. You know, you talk to him, it's like the quotes I give about what's the sign of a reactive culture, right? A reactive leadership community, right? 
you know, when you hear leaders saying, well, I'd like to go work on developing my employees, but I'm too busy filling the empty job slots from everybody that's quitting and dealing with the grievances <laughs> from HR. And right? I don't mean to be laughing. Those are real challenges. You know, yeah. But I mean, it's the same thing on, you know, I'd like to be more, do more preventive maintenance on my equipment, but I'm too busy dealing with the breakdowns. You know, yeah. I'd like to be a better steward of my suppliers, but I'm too busy dealing with the price increases last week, right? I'd like to be a, you know, a, more into preventing safety issues, but I'm too busy dealing with the incidents that happened yesterday, right? And this goes on and on and on, right? right. And, you know, I feel bad. It's a long way to, it's a, it's a hard life to be chasing your tail all day long, right? right? So in your day, in your week, in your month, plan in some proactive stuff, right? Find the time, create the time. And it's not going to happen overnight, right, Joanne? It's like going from 20-80 and PMCM ratio for maintenance to 80-20, it doesn't happen overnight, no. but okay. if every day you make a commitment to just take that little percentage of time, sooner or later, you know, you're on your way. So that that would be my other advice for people that really want to get into more and more senior leadership roles is it's very busy. It's very tough, whether it's middle management, especially all the way up. But, uh, you know, anything we do to try to generate what I'll call more proactive leaders and less people that are spending all day long just chasing their tails. Exactly. That's a great, uh, great point. And you're, and you're right. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Stephen Covey, I think in his book exactly. from a long time ago, talks about this and how there's four quadrants and quadrant two is that effectiveness and your goals, the important stuff. And you've got to figure out how to grab some time from those other three quadrants so you can optimize, maximize, whatever word you want to use that time. So excellent right. advice. And Bob, I really appreciate, thank you for being here. And uh, i tell you what, if there's a couple of really good books that you think might be, um, I'll get those and put those in the production notes Perfect. so that folks that listen to this actually can, uh, can have some resources perhaps that you found useful. Absolutely. So again, happy to do that. it was great kind of going down memory lane a little bit and reminiscing and I wish you all the best. Um, I will put a link, I think to your website. Sure. Uh, great. Because you continue to help companies today. And so let's uh, put that in there in case somebody might like to have a further conversation. That would be great, Joanne. Great. It's so great to see you again, and thanks so much for the time. Yeah, it was it was great. I, I had a great time. And so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of The Digital Doers. Again, please go to hpe.com and uh, take a look. Uh, they're really trying to help you simplify your IT management. Um, so go take a look. They've got a, a feature in their GreenLake platform that actually helps you manage and configure um, in a single location all of your shared services and your um, applications across your entire IT inventory. And, and uh, you can also uh, manage that or monitor, track that consumption to make sure that uh, you're spending your dollars where you'll get the best bang for your buck. So again, thank you, Bob. And thanks again to all of you that are listening in. And until next time, bye-bye. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.